All right, for our scripture reading, John 3, 1 to 21. Kevin's got his Bible open. He's ready. Everybody else got their Bibles open? There are some Bibles in the pews there that if you don't have it, I encourage you to open it up and follow along. I'm thinking Pastor Keith's going to refer to it once in a while. All right. We got it, and it's up here as well. I've got a pretty good memory, but if you're counting this as not opening up the word, I can't remember it as these things go, but so anyway, I think you get it. I'm encouraging you to open up the word with the uh, ESV translation. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things, these signs that you do unless God is with them. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. The people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Bless you, brother, as you speak. All right, good morning, everyone. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, a couple weeks ago, wow, I'm in an auditorium. A couple weeks ago, someone asked me, why do you sometimes... Is that echoing? Is my, is my mic a problem? Sound guys? I'm good? Okay. A couple weeks ago, somebody asked me, why do you sometimes have the verses read that you're speaking on, and sometimes you have other verses read that you're not speaking on? 
Now where I've grown up and where I have served, there never was a scripture reading in the service, and the passage that was being preached on was never read before the pastor got up to speak. And so a number of years ago when I first started pastoring, I had wanted to include more scripture reading as part of the service. And so I had this time of reading placed usually in the middle of the the opening part of the service when the worship team was up uh, doing the singing. And rather than just having some random scripture read, I typically had an Old Testament and a New Testament uh, reading uh, that connected somewhat thematically with the message. And then in the message that I was giving, I would just read the portion of text that I was speaking on. And so when I came here, I noticed that there was a scripture reading time already in the service, uh, usually slotted right before the message, and so uh, that's just where we left it. And I just continued providing some, some readings, uh, which were read at that time. And they weren't necessarily the specific passage I was preaching on, uh, but were some usually thematically connected in one way or another. And so for today, I actually had gone back and forth on having these first 21 verses read or, or some other passages that I had thought of that connected well with this. But um, after giving it some thought, I decided just to have Walter read this ahead of time so that we would be fresh in our minds as we dive into it. Uh, now, a few weeks ago when we opened the Gospel of John, we started by going through uh, the first 18 verses um, with a bit of a fine-tooth comb. Uh, We saw John's theology, and we saw his main thesis for this gospel. Uh, There were sections of that passage that touched on some important aspects of the Christian faith that act as a springboard for the rest of the book and a lens in which we interpret the rest of the book. And after that, the week after, we went through John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. We saw Jesus and his disciples at a wedding in Cana. We saw Jesus turn water to wine. We saw God revealing himself in the person of Jesus and that he was doing something new. We saw that his closest disciples witnessed this event and believed in him. And now for today, we come to John chapter 3, specifically looking at these first 21 verses. Now I went back and forth on how I should approach this text. I originally wanted to just kind of stand back and look at some of the themes of how each member of the Trinity plays a role in our salvation. God the Father is the source or the architect or the author of our salvation. God the Son is the the means by which we are saved. God the Spirit is the mechanism in which we come to salvation. Now those themes are evident in this passage, but I wasn't content with just doing that broader overview. There is a lot that is going on in the specific words of Jesus, and so I decided to take more of a laser focus at those texts and work through it much more intentionally. And so that's kind of how we're going to do this one today. Uh, But before we do, let's just open up in prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for drawing us all here today, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we can learn about you from your word. And now, Jesus, as we look at these 21 verses, God, I just pray that you speak to each and every person here. You speak to us what you want us to hear, God. Uh, Get me out of the way, God. May I decrease, may you increase. May you be glorified in this text. We pray this in your name. Amen. Now, if you didn't listen to Walter and you don't already have your Bibles open to John 3, I would encourage you to do so now. We're going to work through these 21 verses together. I'm going to reread some and some I won't, some I'll just allude to. So uh, have your Bibles open uh, if you've got them. Uh, Now, the story that John presents begins with a respected rabbi, a teacher of the scripture, a Pharisee. 
a man named Nicodemus, who for any Jewish person reading this would understand to be a very educated and well-respected man, a man who knows the Old Testament texts, a man who leads and teaches the Jewish people. Now, if there was a man from God in any story, this would be the guy. And so he comes to Jesus, and he welcomes Jesus as if Jesus was an outsider, and he himself was the one on God's side. Now, Nicodemus assumes that he's on the side of God, and so he, he welcomes Jesus into this circle. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. Now, it's, it's almost condescending in a way. Nicodemus is like, we don't really trust you at all. We don't know who you are, but you've, you've done some things that we can only assume have been by God. So, we guess you're a man of God. So Nicodemus, he's assuming that he's on God's side and, and he knows who God is and what God is doing and how God will work. He is a Jewish rabbi after all. He is the one who brings God to the people. And Jesus just completely flips this around on him. And I want to carefully work through Jesus' words in this early part of this chapter. Uh, but before diving in, we need to be aware that there is a Greek word in this text, uh, in this next section that has two different meanings, even though it is the exact same word. And John uses this word very intentionally. Now, the Greek word is anothen. It is most commonly translated as from above. James uses this word when he writes things like, every good gift is from above, and the wisdom from above is pure. He uses there the word anothen, but it occasionally gets used as the word again. Paul writes to the Galatians and uses this word anothen when he asks, do you want to be enslaved to them all over again? And so we can see the meanings of this word's different uses as we go through this section and gain an understanding of what John is doing here, and then later contrast it with the next story in chapter 4. So keep this word in mind, anothen, most commonly used as from above, but also sometimes as again. So we're going to jump into John 3, verse 3. Jesus answers Nicodemus, who had been assuming that he was on the side of God and was welcoming Jesus over to his side as a rabbi. And he says, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born anothen, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now Nicodemus, a teacher of the people, replies in verse 4, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, clearly, this teacher of the people understood Jesus to mean again, based on what he said in his reply. And to a sound-minded person, Nicodemus' response appears to be something interesting. I don't know. A grown man, an educated man, asks, how can a man enter into his mother's womb and be born a second time? Nicodemus very clearly missed the point. Whereas we can see that Jesus was more specifically saying, born from above, as he unpacks the teaching further in the rest of this section. Now, while at the same time, it is also a new birth, so the understanding of again is not wrong here. It's actually an amazing play on words that Jesus uses, that John records for us. But let's stop for a second and take a look at the ramifications of what is being said. Here we have Jesus, the incarnate word, the creator God in the flesh, says, unless one has a new birth, unless one is born from above, 
he cannot even see the kingdom of God. In order to even see, to comprehend the work and movement of God in renewing and restoring creation back to its ultimate perfection, a person must have a new birth, a birth from above. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born anothen, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then Jesus gives us more. Let's look at verses 5 through 10 uh, in one shot, and then we'll, we'll jump back. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born anothen. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Now, there's a lot going on here, and so I just want to quickly pop back to John chapter 1, verses 12 to 13 for a second. Remember that first part of John 1 is the main thesis for what this entire book is about. John writes that there is a people who become adopted children of God. These people are born not of biological bloodlines, not of human will, but by God. These people born of God, adopted by God, are those who receive Christ. And so Jesus is talking about salvation here, and it comes by way of God's will and work. Our salvation is a new birth, a new birth into God's kingdom. And now in John 3, verse 5, Jesus says, entrance into this kingdom of God requires this new birth. In verse 3, he says, even seeing this kingdom requires a new birth. Nicodemus hears these words of Jesus and is confused. And Jesus replies to Nicodemus in verse 10 of chapter 3 by saying, You're a teacher of Israel, and you don't understand this. Now, when I was working through this, I found that was a rather interesting thing to say by Jesus. Jesus is explaining how a person can not only enter God's kingdom, but even see God's kingdom. And when a Jewish rabbi is confused, Jesus' response has to do with the fact that Nicodemus is a teacher of the Scripture. Jesus says, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, one cannot, one cannot enter into the kingdom. And then he points to Nicodemus as being a teacher of the Scripture, one he doesn't understand. So when you look, look at that reply, it would be logical to conclude that our understanding of what Jesus means regarding being born of water and the Spirit, in this case, Holy Spirit, should be visible in Scripture, Right? You'd assume that by what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. So keep your finger in John 3, but turn with me in your Bibles back to the book of Ezekiel. It's a little past the midway point in your Bibles. It's after Psalms, after Isaiah, after Jeremiah. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 36, starting in verse 24. Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 24. God here is talking to the Israelites. Listen carefully to what God says. Ezekiel 36, 24 to 28. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle you clean. I will sprinkle clean water on you. 
and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my Holy Spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. In that passage, we see God telling his people that he will make them clean. And the image used is being sprinkled with clean water. Now in John 3, Jesus talks about a new birth. This birth from above, from God. And he says, it is a washing of water and the Spirit, His Spirit. In the message about the wedding at Cana, where Jesus turned water to wine, we talked about how the Jewish rituals rinsed people off with water, but they were not enough to make them truly clean. This washing wasn't permanent. It didn't change the people. It didn't change their heart. Here God is telling them that He Himself will wash them. And he will put his Holy Spirit in them. And his Spirit will cause the people to walk in relationship with him. Again, in chapter 2, we saw that the old way did not work. The water they used for the rituals was not enough. It was only the sweet, abundant wine that Jesus offered that was enough to truly free them from sin. The salvation was coming through Jesus. God was revealing himself and doing something new. In chapter 3, we see that it is through a birth by the Spirit that brings about our ability to even see God's kingdom, let alone entrance into the kingdom. Looking at that Ezekiel passage, God says that He will cleanse you. He will give you a new heart. He will put His Holy Spirit in you and cause you to walk with Him. My friends, it is not on us. It's not because we are good enough. It's not because we are more spiritually sensitive than our non-believing neighbors. It is not a birth by flesh and blood. It is not a birth by human will so that no man may boast. Us coming to God is not of our own initiation. It is only by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we are born again, born from above, and come to Christ. We will see from this entire section as a whole, the Father is the source, the architect, the Son is the means by which we have this new birth. And here we have the Holy Spirit as the mechanism of our life our salvation, our faith. Everything good in your life, everything good that you do, your faith, your works, all that comes by the work of the Holy Spirit in you. The scripture says, He came to His own and His own people did not receive Him, but to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Unless one is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. I will sprinkle clean water on you. I will give you a new heart. I will put my Spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Now before we move into the next section of this passage in John 3, we can't forget this funny little comment from Jesus about the wind blowing. In verse 8, it says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. 
It is God at work giving His Spirit, opening people's eyes, sprinkling with water, giving a new heart, giving His Spirit that causes people to walk with Him. God does as He wills, and we simply see the results. We can see the fruit from the activity, but it is coming from God Himself. I'll come back to that later, but let's move on to the next section, verses 11 to 15. And I want to spend a little bit more time in the last section of this text, and so I'm just going to highlight a couple of things in these next couple of verses. Let's look at verses 13 and 14. Jesus says, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now one of Jesus' favorite titles for himself is Son of Man. Now this term basically means a man, a human being. But it's also connected to a popular passage from the book of Daniel. I'm not going to read that one this morning, but if you want to make note of Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. In this Daniel passage, we get this vision and this Son of Man comes before Yahweh the Father. The Son of Man is given all authority and power and dominion over all things. And so while the Son of Man is a common term for just a man, it has a spiritual meaning so much more. It is a term that identifies Jesus with God as deity, and it identifies him as the author of all creation. Now, a couple weeks ago, I mentioned that people often say that the Bible does not refer to Jesus as God, and that Jesus never calls himself God. Well, every time he refers to himself as Son of Man, that is exactly what he is doing. He is making himself one with God and saying that he has all authority over all things. And so here Jesus says that he has come from heaven. He is the Son of Man. And that ultimately eternal life comes through this saving faith in him. And that this salvation comes through him being lifted up. And Jesus connects his being lifted up to when Moses lifted up a bronze serpent in the wilderness. Again, we're not going to read that passage specifically from Numbers today. Uh, Jerry, look, uh, Jerry spoke on that earlier this spring. But here the people were dying from poisonous snakes that God had sent in because of the people's unbelief and complaining against God. And then God provides a way for them to be healed from their affliction. A bronze serpent is made and placed on a pole, and the people simply had to look at it to be healed. It is God providing the healing. And so that is the illustration that Jesus is using here. That people's healing comes in looking to him, the one who will be lifted up. And just quickly before we move on, the term lifted up also has two meanings, kind of like that Greek word earlier, either again or from above. Jesus being lifted up directly refers to his crucifixion, as it is by his death that the penalty of sin was paid. But it also has to do with his exaltation, his being lift, lifted up, his being glorified as the one overall at the right hand of the Father. Anyway, we can see that the way we come to the kingdom or even are able to see the activity of God's kingdom in the here and now is by the power and work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, bringing us to this saving faith and belief in Christ. The means by which we receive the salvation is through Jesus' death on the cross. The mechanism by which we come to Christ is the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives. And so now we come to John three sixteen to 21. And I want to reread those, those verses now, so please follow along with me. John three sixteen to 21. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Now in this section we have John providing some commentary, building out the reality of what is happening, tying Jesus' earlier words to Nicodemus to what he wrote back in chapter 1's prologue. Now let's just take a look at what is being said here and break it down and pull out what John is communicating to us as his readers. Now earlier Jesus says, unless one is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom. Unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. And now John 3.16 is well known, typically by its English translation. But literally, grammatically, from the Greek, this is what is being said. This is the way in which God loves the world, that is, people of every tongue, tribe, and nation, not simply the blood Israelites. He gave the monogamous. Remember that word from John 1? He gave the unique one, the begotten Son. All those believing in this one have life in place of death. There is no rejection of anyone who believes, regardless of their ethnicity, their background. The role, the purpose of this monogamous, this unique one coming into creation, was not to condemn but to provide salvation, provide life, provide light. Now back in the opening prologue in John 1, he writes, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The true light which gives light to all kinds of people was coming into the world. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And back here in John 3.19, he says, This is the judgment, that light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does bad, everyone who does evil, hates the light and does not come to the light. Back in chapter 1, he says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He was in the world, and yet the world did not know him, did not love him. He came to his own people, and his own people did not want him. My friends, Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, because the world was already condemned. The judgment is that no one wants God. Sin does not love what is good. Sin loves darkness. And that is the sad picture of all humanity apart from God. And we get this picture over and over and over and over and over again from Genesis through Revelation. Paul writes in Romans 5 verse 12, Sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Verse 18, one trespass led to condemnation for all men. The condemnation is there already. More condemnation is not needed. It's already present. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. All stand condemned. All deserve the justice of God. But this is how the Father loves people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. 
He came to his own creation in the person of Jesus, lived the perfect sinless life, and was lifted up on the cross, dying for sin, dying to provide a new life in him, free from the bondage of our sin nature passed down from Adam. Paul in Romans 5 again, as one trespass led to condemnation for all, so one act of righteousness leads to justification. For by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. The final verse in this section of John 3, verse 21 says, Whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. Now you may say, well, it says in God. Well, it's the same word in Greek, in, by. Everyone who does, everyone does, ugh, sorry, whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God, have been carried out by God. John is connecting to Jesus' comments about the wind blowing here regarding the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, the wind blows wherever it wishes. You don't know where it comes from or you don't know where it's going, but you can hear its sound. The work of the Spirit is by the will of God, but we see the fruit that it bears. We can see the works carried out by God when we see someone coming to the light, doing what is right and true. This is the picture John gives us in chapter 1, verse 12. Those people who were born, not of the will of man, but of God, are those who receive Christ and are made God's children. Let that be an encouragement to anyone who might be sitting here thinking, I'm not good enough. My, my past is too dark. I've sinned too much. God doesn't care. God's big enough. Big enough to change your heart no matter how hard it was. His Spirit has enough power to change your life no matter how dark it might have seemed in the past. But you guys have done it. You've hung with me as we work through this context and the meaning of these words in John chapter 3, verses 1 to 21. And we saw that a new heart, a new birth is needed to, to see God's kingdom, to enter God's kingdom. We saw that Jesus connected this with Ezekiel in which God tells the people that this comes from him by the work of his Holy Spirit in our lives. We saw that the means of our salvation is by way of Christ's death on the cross and his ultimate glorification as the ruler and authority of all things. We saw that this was all by the grace of God the Father and that when we come to him, when we live these obedient lives in the power of the Holy Spirit, ultimately it is for his glory. And so what? What is the sandpaper to rub us the wrong way and really make us think as we go out from here today? As I thought about this passage and as I thought about what kind of challenge this passage presents to us, I was drawn to Jesus' comments about the wind blowing. This funny little throwaway comment that we probably overlook when we read this passage ourselves. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who was born of the Spirit. Jesus was telling Nicodemus that God will do as he wills. And from our perspective, we simply see the results. We don't have control over the wind. We don't see where it comes from, but we can hear it. Its movement is visible to us. The Bible often uses the image of bearing fruit when it talks about the Christian life. 
The fruit is the visible aspect of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Just like we can hear the wind blowing, we can see fruit in our lives. Now as Christians, regardless of our age, regardless of our understanding of all the finer points of church life and the Bible, there should be evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And no, we are not perfect. None of us is. I am definitely not. But being a Christian is far more than attending a weekly service. It's far more than saying a prayer or reading some verses in the Bible. Having a new birth in God's kingdom, moving from darkness to light, from death to life, will come with noticeable fruit. And so let that be a challenge for all of us this week. Can we see the fruit in our own lives? Now again, maybe you're new to this church thing and new to following Jesus and you don't understand what fruit is. Or you think this is a church Christianese language that's so often we use from up here. There's a couple places that I want you to look if this is the case. Matthew chapter 3 verses, I'm sorry, Matthew 5 verses 3 to 10 and Galatians 5, 22 to 23. You can write those references down if you want. Matthew 5, 3 to 10, Galatians 5, 22 to 23. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Do you realize that you have nothing of value to offer God? You are bankrupt before Him. Your works won't do it. Blessed are those who mourn. Does your sin bother you? Blessed are the meek. Are you a person of pride or humility? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Do you want to see God honored in this world? Or is it the cultural values of the day where you hang your hat? Blessed are the merciful. Are you kind and gracious to others and those different from yourself? Blessed are the pure in heart. Are you authentic and genuine in all your dealings with people? Or do you have ulterior motives? Blessed are the peacemakers. Are you quick to forgive? Or do you hold a grudge? And just lastly in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. My friends, if the wind is blowing, you can hear its sound. If the Spirit is at work in your life, you should see some fruit. Is there fruit in your life? Is that fruit growing sweeter as it ripens on the vine? I'm talking to you, all, all those of you with gray hair here this morning. As you're ripening on the vine, is that fruit growing sweeter? Let's, let's let God's word to us be a bit of a sandpaper in our lives this week. And let's also use this as an encouragement to one another this week as well. I want to encourage you and challenge you to consider others in this church family. Think of one or two other people and reach out to them this week. Let them know where you see fruit in their lives. Let us build one another up in love through encouraging each other this week. Call, text, or email someone or some other people and let them know how you see the Spirit at work in their lives bearing fruit. Let's pray. Holy Father God, thank you. Thank you for how great you are. Thank you for your justice. And thank you for your grace. 
God, and thank you that you are all-powerful. God, thank you that no matter what our past looks like, God, no matter how much we have sinned, no matter how much we have rebelled against you, no matter how much we have elevated ourselves above you, God, you are more powerful. You are strong enough to remove from us our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. You are big enough to cleanse us with water, a washing that changes us. God, and thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit in us, God, that we can be freed from these chains of sin and come freely to you, God, walking with you, obeying your commands. God, thank you for your love for us. God, just thank you for your Holy Spirit working in us, producing fruits that we can see that you are at work in us, God. And I just pray, Lord, this week that you encourage each person in this body. Help them to see where that fruit is, God. Help each one of us to see where you are working in our lives, no matter where we are in our walk with you, God, whether we are far off, just kind of pointed somewhat in the right direction, or God, whether we have been walking with you for decades. God, I just pray for your spirit upon us, each of us this week, that we would see where you at work in our lives and that we would join you in what you are doing in this community. We pray these things in your name. Amen.